Around the world and throughout history, honesty is one of the most universally valued human traits. And yet research shows that any of us claiming to be completely sincere and truthful may well be lying to ourselves. You're listening to the Eudaimonia podcast. I'm Kim Forrester, and today we're going to hone our understanding of what it means to be honest. Welcome to Eudaimonia, the podcast that is all about flourishing. Plug in, relax, and get ready for the goodness as we explore the traits and practices that can help you thrive in life. With your host, Kim Forrester. Daniel Munro is a confidence coach, best-selling author, and director of both the Inspirational Lifestyle Limited and The Brojo. Dan offers coaching with a particular focus in the areas of people-pleasing, building self-confidence, and forming genuine relationships. His latest book is titled The Naked Truth, Using Shameless Honesty to Enhance Your Confidence, Connections, and Integrity. It's a pleasure to be chatting with Dan today to explore the importance of integrity and truthfulness and to learn how shameless honesty can help us live a more flourishing life. Dan Munro, welcome to the Eudaimonia podcast. It's a delight to have you here with me today. How are things with you? Yeah, I'm having a pretty good day today, so I'm feeling kind of energetic and stuff, which is unusual since having a kid, so I'm liking it. (laughs) Awesome. Now, your book, The Naked Truth, is all about honesty. And as I was reading its pages, I was confronted and I was discomforted and I was also inspired in many ways. But let's start with a very important distinction. What is the difference between truthfulness and honesty? I think the simplest way to put it is that truthfulness is about reporting the facts. It's about you know what you express being objectively accurate. So if I'm being truthful, I'm reporting something that, say, a scientist could confirm is true, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Whereas honesty is much more, it's, it is truthfulness in a sense, but it's truthfulness about what is happening inside me as opposed to objective facts. It's more like a subjective truth. It's mm-hmm. what I believe and think and feel as opposed to what is in terms of other people can confirm it. Let's say someone comes up to you and asks for your credit card details. Mm. truthfulness would be giving them your credit card details and honesty would be saying, I don't want to tell you that. And, and it's, it's just as true, but it's true about what's going on inside you. It's actually uh, one of the great distinctions for helping people who struggle with being more honest is you can actually talk about the struggle itself without actually talking about the truth. So I could say like, there's something I want to say to you, but I'm too scared to say it. That's honesty, but it's not telling you the true facts. So I'm still being Mm. as honest as I possibly can be with my current levels of courage and sense of safety or even ability to put things into words, but I'm not actually telling you what the raw facts are, the data, the truth, because I I just can't right in this moment. I don't have the ability, but that's still 100% honesty. That's as honest as I possibly can be. That's actually really empowering, Dan, because it means that if we are in a moment where we don't really feel safe or we don't feel ready to share the truth about a situation, we can still be honest and we can still say, I am not ready or I am not in a space to do so. What's interesting, though, in your book is that you write there are three levels of honesty. You say there's weak honesty, there's accurate honesty, and there's powerful honesty. So honesty itself has different levels. What are the differences between each of these levels? And 
which ones do you think we should aspire to on a daily basis? Well, these levels kind of just describe areas on a spectrum. There's no like clear line between them. But basically, I think there's a clear line between honesty and dishonesty. There's a clear line between knowingly saying something that is untrue versus various degrees of truth. Hmm. So once you're into the realm of honesty, congratulations, it's hard enough to get there. You mm-hmm. know, I think I'm not actually a huge Jordan Peterson fan, but the chapters of one of his books was um, be honest or at least don't lie. And I really love that statement. Hmm. Like at least stay on the realm of honesty, even if it's weak, even if it's vague, even if it's barely comprehensible, but it's still aligned somewhat with what you believe is true. It's better to stay silent than to lie, in my opinion. But in terms of those three levels, weak honesty is basically what you're saying does align with what you're thinking or feeling or believing, but only just and very vaguely. And often you might be describing something subjective as objective. For example, this is where being judgmental would come in. So if I say you're too fat, I mean, who am I to judge what fat is? And that's not really what's going on in my head. What's really going on in my head is, you know, if I was to be really honest, I'd say I'm being judgmental about you right now. Mm. When I say I'm too fat, it's a very vague connection to what's really going on inside me. In fact, if I was being really honest, I'd say I have these deep insecurities about body image and I'm projecting that onto you right now. That would be powerful honesty. Right? Yeah, wow, that is powerful. Yeah, well, you I mean, you have to even know what you're thinking to, to be able to say it. That's like this whole new level. So weak is like, I'm somewhere in the realm of talking about the truth. At least I'm not pretending that I haven't noticed your body and had judgments about it. But I'm really quite distant. I'm, I'm also like not very vulnerable here. I'm just talking about something like it's a fact when actually it's an opinion. Mm. And that would be weak. Whereas accurate would be at least talking about the raw data, like we kind of mentioned before. So instead of saying you're too fat, I might say something, I noticed that you seem to have put on weight since we last spoke. Now, I'm not Mm. saying any value judgments about that. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just kind of reporting the facts as I see them. And then powerful honesty is not just reporting the facts, but giving people insight into that hidden narrative and emotions that you've got behind what you're saying. Like, I think the the best way to talk about powerful honesty would be to reveal the intentions behind what you're saying. So, like, right now, I'm saying all this stuff, and my intention is to convince people that I know what I'm talking about when it comes to honesty. (laughs) Right? Like, that's what's hidden behind what I'm saying right now as you and I speak. Plus, I'm also a genuine desire to help people. I know this stuff really improves lives, so I'm kind of almost anxious to convince you that it's the way to go and it's worth experimenting with. So there's a bit of that driving what I'm saying as well. So that's what I'd call powerful honesty, where you get to see behind the curtain. Like you're basically in my head at this point. There's nothing left to hide, but I'm also not apologetic or shameful of it. I'm just reporting it as it is, like it's the most normal thing in the world, which it is, of course. There is huge vulnerability in powerful honesty, Dan. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that many of us are used to that level of vulnerabilities. Let's go here. My listeners, I know, are incredibly thoughtful people, good people that almost certainly consider themselves to be largely honest. However, Mm -hmm. 
you say that there are hidden faces of dishonesty that we need to be aware of. And I do wonder if we're not aware of them because it asks us to be vulnerable. What Mm. are the subtle ways, Dan, that we live dishonestly? Well, you kind of nailed it there, which is, I mean, vulnerability is one of the kind of key fears here. If there's anything you say or do that's risk averse uh, is one way to start looking at it. Odds are you're going to start slipping to some form of dishonesty. And I think the key one I focus on in the book and in my life, you know, my life's work is helping people with the form of dishonesty that we call being nice. Uh, It's even got (laughs) big professional names like nice guy syndrome or people pleasing syndrome. And the gist of it is anything you say or do that has the primary intention of controlling someone else's emotions, but you're not honest about that intention. And that covers a huge range of what people who consider themselves to be good people, it actually covers a quite a vast range of their behavior. Like they wouldn't do it if they weren't trying to manipulate someone's emotions. And if you use that as a, as a definition, you'll look at what you do throughout the day and go, holy shit, I'm actually kind of full of shit a lot of the time. <laughs> this is where you confronted me because I am a recovering people pleaser. And, mm. and I consider myself to aspire to be a good person, to be told that my people-pleasing was actually a manipulation, which is entirely true. Mm. It was also incredibly confronting. So mm. you are very clear, Dan, that as you moved away from people-pleasing and into this sort of bold honesty, it created a lot of discomfort in your life. So I guess the question is mm. why? bother? Why bother with honesty if it's going to create this discomfort? And I'll ask it this way. How has your life flourished since you retired your people-pleasing ways, more or less, and chose honesty over niceness? Yeah, well, that's the selling point, really. I mean, in a word, confidence. It's as simple as that. This is what I'm really trying to get across in the book as well, is that all of your confidence issues, and everybody's got them, no matter what sort of profile they got on Facebook, they've all got them. It's really directly and almost exclusively related to how honest you are. So when you're dishonest, there's a key thing that's happening, let alone all the problems that it causes, like people can't trust you, you build false relationships, uh, you get yourself into a career that sucks because you're just kind of following the path of least resistance. Let's just put those aside as if they're small problems, and yet they're actually huge. The problem with everyday dishonesty is it's essentially, it's a form of bullying yourself. It's a form of telling Mm. yourself to shut up. One way to imagine is like, imagine every time you don't say what you really want to say, what you're really thinking, or you don't show your feelings accurately, you put on a smile when you're actually feeling sad, anything like that, any form of dishonesty, whatever the truth was about you at that time, you're telling that to shut up. You're saying that's not worth sharing. That's not valid. Mm. Be quiet. Imagine if someone else was doing that to you, the same frequency that you do it to yourself. Imagine if you had someone walking alongside you all day to say, no, you can't say that. Shut up. That's not worthwhile. You're full of shit. Don't talk. I mean, that would be, we'd consider that to be horrific level of bullying. And yet most people are doing this to themselves. And that is the problem with dishonesty. Now, honesty is basically validation. You say, you know what? Whatever I think, whatever I feel, Whatever I believe, it doesn't mean that it's valuable to other people necessarily, but it's worth saying. 
And when you do say it, that confirms that it's worth saying. It doesn't matter actually how you feel about it, even if you're ashamed or nervous. When you say it, you're like, well, I guess I'm supporting it because I just said it. It's kind of like if you vote <laughs> yeah. for a politician, then you must be supporting them because you just voted, right? So what changed for me was, I, I think this was the revelation. When I started being honest, there's just this weight started lifting off me that I didn't even know was there. You know, like if you've been carrying a backpack for a long time and then you take it off and you're like, oh, this is what it feels like to have it off. You know, you've forgotten. Well, I, I don't think I'd ever taken that weight off until I started, it was about my mid-20s, I started just doing this social experiment with being really honest. And it was just this lightness. Like, I don't have to remember anything. I don't have to remember, like, how different people see me. I don't have to do that chameleon thing where I adjust to each person and try to keep track of what my different performances are. And like when I tell a story, I don't have to worry that somebody else there was actually there and they're going to, you know, deny the embellishments that I've added to the story or any of that stuff that used to like give me so much anxiety throughout the day, this getting caught anxiety. After a long time of being honest, the things that like for a start, I used to have chronic anxiety and insomnia. And I just thought that was like a physical condition. Honesty obliterated both of those things. I can't remember the last time I was anxious. And I, well, until I had a kid, I slept very well. <laughs> um, and now I don't. And I'm pretty sure that's a physical thing. And then I noticed like, I used to try so hard to make people like me. And I'd have an all right hit rate, but it was a huge effort. You know, like I'd look calm on the outside, but inside I'm just all gears turning and effort all the time. Constant assessment, constant like, uh, coming up with good things to say and do that would get a, like a good response, just a huge effort. I went down to almost zero effort and just like I watch myself talk now with with no planning. It's it's really fascinating experience. Like right now as I'm talking to you, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth next. Whereas before that would be pre-scripted completely. Yeah. So it's very authentic, very uh, effortless then the way that exactly. you share your honest truth at the moment. Now, exactly. honesty is ultimately about telling or living the truth. You were saying there how there's confidence to be found. There is empowerment to be found when we just speak what is in our hearts and our minds. But I love the question in your book, how do we know what the truth really is before expressing our honest thoughts or opinions? What do we need to be aware of when it comes to our perceived truth? I think in a nutshell, just lightly holding on to the idea that you could be wrong and that you probably are, but you've got to move forward with it anyway. <laughs> we often think of thoughts as kind of being like scripts, you know, like words, but they're not. Thoughts are this vague sense inside your head. When you try to put them into words, it's actually quite hard sometimes, which means they weren't originally words in your head. So you don't even really know what it is that you want to say until you start trying to say it. So you mm -hmm. can't even hope to identify the truth until you open your mouth and have a crack at it. You're better off to at least get it wrong and then I call it like make a mess and clean it up later. So you can start saying, well, I'm not really sure what I'm trying to say here. It's something about I feel this way, but it tells me this and that and I'm not really sure where I'm going. That's better than trying to come up with this perfect sentence inside your head, which is never going to happen because the truth's only half formed in there. Dan, I can tell though in your work and in your book that you're not 
advocating outright cruelty, right? You're not advocating the use of honesty as a weapon. How can we ensure that when we share our truth, when we are being honest with others, that it is a healthy form of honesty and that it's a compassionate form of honesty? Well, there's a few different ways. And in the book, I talk about these five principles of powerful honesty, which like if you follow them, then you've given the other person the best possible chance to receive this well. Mm. Now, for example, uh, one of the, the main ones is responsibility, which is you own everything about yourself. So think of the difference between you made me angry, which is victimhood blaming, versus when I saw you do that, I got myself angry. Or say vulnerability, uh, especially vulnerability where you see that you are an equal human to the person you're talking to. Like one of my f- favorite things that I ever learned when I was um, when I first became a manager and was trying to be a leader rather than just a manager was changing the word I to we. Oh, sorry, from you to we. So I could say like, mm. you did this wrong, or I could say we need to fix this. Again, a major difference if you're receiving it, and yet those are both true statements. Yeah. But one's actually more honest. See, if I talk about like you did something wrong, I'm basically implying that somehow you can go back into the past and change what you did. That's not true. You can't do that. But if I say we need to work on this, I'm talking about now and the future, talking about something that can actually happen, which is sort of more true. When I think specifically about feedback, giving feedback, telling people what you think of them, essentially, Mm. in a way that's not sacrificing honesty at all but also giving them the best possible chance to receive this well and one of the first principles there is asking permission and i don't know how rare this is but it just so doesn't happen very often you know most of the time when you get feedback it's what's called unsolicited feedback somebody just gives it to you without asking if you wanted it without asking if it's helpful right now without asking how you prefer to receive feedback they just try to control you with words and that's automatically going to make you defensive. Whereas if you go to someone, look, I've got some feedback for you. It might upset you. Do you mind hearing it? And they say, yes, it totally changes kind of the formation of their brain when it comes to receiving information. They've now said, I sign up to this. They're going to take responsibility for their reaction to you now. So if you ask permission first and you respect a no, if someone says, no, I can't hear this right now and you go, okay. And you walk away. You've still been honest. You said, I wanted to tell you something. So they know that something's there. But you've also respected their lack of permission. The second factor, I guess, once you've got the permission, is targeted and specific. And what this means is you're going to talk about one tiny piece of behavior and you're going to compartmentalize that away from the person in a sense. So rather than saying, like, you suck, I might say, Yesterday, you left the clothes on the floor and that was a real hassle for me. We're just talking about what you did yesterday. I'm not saying you always leave the clothes on the floor because that's not true. You also do other stuff like eat and socialize. So you're not always leaving clothes on the floor. You know, I'm not going to use anything that's not true. I'm just going to say this is a specific evidenced thing that took place. And here's how I feel about it. That's all. If you don't care how I feel about it, fine. We move on with our lives. I'm not actually telling you what to do with your life. I'm just reporting my reaction to something you did, essentially. Mm. And the sort of third principle there is to keep in mind, like, what's most helpful to them? And this requires sometimes asking them if you don't know them very well, 
or tapping into what you do know about a person. There's different ways to say the same thing, still being honest, but with some consideration to like, what works for this person most? And if you're not sure, you ask them. So I've got some feedback for you. How do you like to receive feedback? What's the most helpful way? Let's talk about confrontation and conflict because you actually separate those two concepts in your book and you maintain that confrontation often prevents outright conflict. And Mm -hmm. I imagine that's the opposite of what many people think or many people like me often fear. How can we approach confrontation as both a tool for honesty and a prevention of all-out conflict? Well, starting with the end in mind, there is no guaranteed way to prevent conflict. And once you get your head around that and and accept that in your heart, uh, it'll go a long way. Because I think a lot of the dishonesty people do is from this hope that, hey, maybe I can avoid discomfort completely here. Mm. It's going to happen. You get to choose how it happens. It can either be you put something off for ages and it explodes later, or you nip it in the bud early and it's just a little bit uncomfortable. Conflict is not a confrontation. Conflict is how someone feels after being confronted. Now, when I say a confrontation prevents conflicts, I don't mean it's guaranteed to prevent all conflicts in your life, but it definitely is going to reduce the size of them. You think of the difference between a confrontation where, let's say, we've been dating two months and I say, look, you know, the way you've been talking to my mother, I find that disrespectful and I'd like you to stop. Versus me letting you talk like that to her for 20 years and then exploding and divorcing you. Yeah. Right? That's what I'm talking about. That little thing at the start where as soon as something bothers you a little bit, you speak up about it and you just go through that little like, oh, I'm going to have to break the rapport and the good times for a little bit here or I don't know how they're going to react. So this is a feels like a bit like risk taking. If you can go through that, you don't have to deal with the big blowouts later. You say very wisely that we have to step into discomfort. We have to have those uncomfortable confrontations to be truly honest and to live honestly. And we can't always expect a good response when we choose to be honest. That's that's clear. But Mm. Dan, are there ways that we can guarantee that we as individuals respond well? respond in healthy and compassionate ways when others are honest with us. Yeah, well, put it this way, there's no quick fix to that. That's that's the deep inner work. You know, if you if you don't receive the truth well, that's probably like uh, it's like an iceberg, like underneath the surface of that is all kinds of shit going on. There's ego, mm. there's insecurities, there's trauma, there's limiting or false beliefs about how the world should work and so on. So the number one step is taking responsibility. I got this from the Stoicism philosophy more than anything else. Nobody else ever actually harms you. The harm happens inside your head, which means it's your own mind doing it. So one of the first things you can do to be better at receiving the truth, both in the moment and as a general practice, is to keep reminding yourself, like, my reaction is my problem, not theirs. If I'm reacting painfully to something it's because of my beliefs it's because of the way i interpreted what was said another way to look at it is that there is some value in any form of feedback you get no matter how horrible it is Mm. uh, how unhelpful it appears like the best case scenario or worst case scenario even is 
let's say somebody you don't like gives you unfair, inaccurate feedback in a mean way, at the very least, you've identified someone who's not a good fit for you. Mm. But there's gold in there. Like I mentioned, there was a massive turning point in my life. I mentioned in the book, uh, and it didn't actually affect me until a couple of years after the event, but I was with a girl that I was desperately crushing on, but of course hadn't been honest about it. So I was in that friend zone, as they call it. And I was making fun of myself, which is something I did a lot back then. That was one of my forms of people pleasing is to make people laugh at me. And uh, I was doing that and I I used to make people laugh, like, even though Mm -hmm. like inside I'm dying, you know, and I was doing that and she stopped me and she said, you know what? It's kind of funny. It's a little bit charming, but it's also pathetic. Now I took that really personally, like telling a nice guy that he's pathetic is kind of just, you might as well just stab me in the heart. But I really needed to hear that because I had never thought of it that way. And it was so true. It is pathetic to make fun of yourself and actually mean it. It took me years to kind of ponder that and think about it. But after that, my self-deprecating humor started to taper off because it was never coming from a good place. It was always a kind of cry for sympathy. It was always a kind of a desperate leaking of shame. And she just called it out. Now, the way she did it wasn't particularly nice and it wasn't overly helpful. A psychologist would have probably explained it in in terms that I could have used a bit better and wouldn't have used the word pathetic. But it was still this little view of me that I couldn't see inside me. You know, I can't see it when I'm in the driver's seat. And it just opened up a whole new way of thinking for me, like, how often is what I'm doing kind of pathetic by my own standards? And Mm. I'm here today in part because of that one little piece of feedback, but mostly because two years later, I finally decided to accept that feedback and see what it meant for me, you know? That is so beautiful. Dan, as New Zealanders, where humility Mm. is held in very, very high regard, I think we both Mm. understand this next concept. You actually write that humility, holding back from your passion, dimming your light, that is a form of dishonesty, you say. And you actually go so far as to say that it's a selfish form of dishonesty. How Mm. so? Well, first, let's do a couple of definitions. I use humility because that's the word people use in their head, but that's not actually humility. To hide who you are and to hold back your strengths and to like dim your light is not humility. It's false modesty. Humility is accepting mm-hmm. that you're just a speck in the universe and that you control almost none of it. That's humility. But this is not what people mean when they say that they're humble or that general New Zealand culture, which I've also seen in other countries, especially uh, kind of protestant founded countries like the uk and so on you know i I used to do job interviews like being the interviewer and watch people talk themselves out of the job (laughs) you're not even bragging you're just telling the truth and you won't do it you know you're just so ashamed to say i'm actually good at that and it would be true for you to say it but this this idea that we value humility what we're really valuing is false modesty which is a keep your head down that tall poppy syndrome, mm. you know, don't be seen, don't stand out for things that are actually true about you. And the reason that this is selfish is because everybody misses out on what could be if you didn't do that. For example, I think of what I do as a coach. I've had people confirm that I helped prevent them from committing suicide. 
I've had people give up jobs that they would have hated uh, to find their true passion. I've helped people form relationships when they they felt that they were doomed to never have one. Imagine if I'd held back and didn't do that work. What happens to those people? Where are they now? Well, some of them are dead and their family are grieving. So that's selfish. And you get this, basically anybody who's holding back from what they know they should be doing, holding back from what they should be saying, the question you ask yourself is, if I don't, who misses out? What happens? Even something as simple, let's say you're staying in a shit job you don't like instead of, say, going into the one you do because it's artistic and you've been told that that's not profitable, which is bullshit. There's somebody who might love the job that you're in, but you're in the way. (laughs) You're taking up that seat. You know? Yeah. And if you were actually pursuing what you wanted, maybe that seat would open up for someone who actually is passionate about what you're doing. So that's selfish. Dan, my final question is when I ask every guest on the Eudaimonia podcast, can you offer a morning reminder? So this may be a practice, a mantra, an affirmation, something that can help us all become more honest as we step through our daily lives. Yeah, well, it's actually pretty simple, I think, which is you just ask yourself, how could I be more honest today? And whatever that answer to that question is, you try and follow through with it to the best of your ability. Okay, one way to put it as quickly as possible is that the barriers to honesty are twofold. They're either lack of awareness or they're cowardice. So you either don't know what the truth is or you do know, but you're too scared to say it. And most of the time, that's the issue. So when we're talking about practicing honesty, what we're really talking about is practicing courage of going to do something you don't feel like doing. That's it. Mm -hmm. So if you can ask yourself, what is something I could say that I don't really want to say, but is the truth? What's something I could say today? You know, is there something I could tell my boss, my partner, myself, anything? One a day, that's 300 plus a year. You're moving up that spectrum. Plus you're practicing honesty. Every time you try to speak honestly, you get better at doing it. You know, I'll be kind of shameless here and no false humility. As you've heard me speak and do the powerful honesty stuff, I know how it sounds. You know, I know it's uh, it's quite convincing. It's very easy to hear me speak and to kind of like, uh, I don't feel ashamed of what I'm saying and it gives a sense of confidence. Well, when I first started being honest, it didn't sound like that. Mm. It sounded like I was going to throw up. I had my heart beat in my throat. My face was all red. I was shaking, sweating, stuttering. That's how it started. Well, you practice a hundred or a thousand times. It doesn't keep sounding like that. You get better at it. You get more articulate, more convincing, more charismatic, all without being fake. Dan, you have a series of books, the latest of which is called The Naked Truth, and it delves Mm -hmm. really, really deeply into this whole concept of shameless honesty. If my listeners want to find out more about you and about your coaching work, the books that you've written, where can they find out more? Uh, All sorts of places. I actually prefer personal contact. So emailing me, dan at brojo.org. That's my favorite way to get in touch with someone. But of course, if they just want to kind of uh, lurk on the edges and have a look at all my shit, brojo.org is the website where I post all my stuff. And my books can be found on Amazon. If you just search for my name, you should be able to find that stuff there. I really want to thank you from my heart, honestly and sincerely, Mm. for sort of stepping into the eudaimonia circle because the information that you shared in your book and this conversation today, it really has aggravated the edges of me in really powerful and helpful ways. So thank you, Dan, for 
choosing to be more shamelessly honest and for inviting us all to follow your example. Thanks for being here today on the Eudaimonia podcast. Oh, you're more than welcome. I thoroughly enjoyed it, Kim. Cheers. As the American religious leader James Faust once said, honesty is more than not lying. It is truth-telling, truth-speaking, truth-living, and truth-loving. You've been listening to the Eudaimonia podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how to live a truly flourishing life, please subscribe. Check out eudaimoniapod.com for more inspiring episodes or come join me on Instagram at I am Kim Forrester. I'm Kim Forrester. Until next time, be well, be kind to yourself and live honestly. Honestly.